Well, we're in Matthew chapter 8 this morning. We're making a transition. We're coming down from the Sermon of the Mount where we spent the last few weeks listening to Jesus teach this message that is so profound for all of us. And we're going to be switching now. Chapters 8 through 10 are going to be all about discipleship. What does it mean to follow Christ? What does it mean to be a student of His and to learn from Him? And today He's going to be teaching us about healing. And there's going to be three specific healings that he's going to be doing in this portion of Scripture. But it's important for us to know a couple of things and for me to get through a couple disclaimers. Disclaimer number one, I'm not going to be focusing on the theological aspect about if healing is for today or not for today, how the miracles of healing happen, how do you conjure up, I'm being sarcastic, uh, a healing. We're going to be talking about healings a lot and miracles throughout this gospel Today, we're going to be focused on the personal relationship with the Lord and how healing affects us and those around us. Uh, So I wanted to get that out of the way. Number two, what is healing and what's the difference, say, between healing and deliverance? So because we're going to be talking about that over the next few weeks. Deliverance is when you have demonic possession or oppression or some outside force and the Lord delivers you out of that. Healing... I found on just a quick Google search, the definition of healing is the process of making or becoming sound or healthy again. Or if we want to go back in time to 1836 Webster's, the original Webster's Dictionary, it says healing is the process of curing, restoring to a sound state. So when we're talking about healing, we are talking about being made whole, being returned back to its perfect or its former self. We're not talking about patching things up or just taking some pain away or just putting a band-aid on something. We're talking about deep, genuine restoration, and that's going to be very important. Now, we talked about how we're going to be going through a lot of those details in the weeks to come, but as we read verses 1 through 4, we're going to see our first miracle, and then we're going to apply it to ourselves. So let's pray and read together. Lord, We thank you and we praise you that you are the God of healing as well as the God of salvation. We pray that you would guide and direct us in your word and that we wouldn't leave here without being changed in some way by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's read together verses 1 through 4. It says, When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing... You can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, I told you we're going to go through three miracles today. That's interesting because we know from Scripture, that Jesus is healing almost everybody. I mean, there are lots of miracles, lots of healings happening at this time. Remember, that's why the crowd is following him to the Sermon of the Mount as he was teaching the disciples. All the way back in chapter 4, it said, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, And they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments. And those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. He made them whole. 
And this is happening all over the place. So there must be a reason why these three people are going to be mentioned in their way. And we're going to talk about it. Now this guy here, as we said, is unique. He is a leper. So today we call it Hansen's disease. And it's a bacterial infection. It's very rare. It is a long-term bacterial infection. And it deadens your nerves so that you can't feel things. And then it also begins to affect your, your flesh and your muscles. But most importantly, if you can't feel things, you can't um, take care of yourself. For example, if you get really cold and your fingers get numb and your nose gets numb and your ears, we feel that. We sense that. We start rubbing our hands together. We warm them up. We get close. If you have leprosy, you don't feel it. You don't know what's happening. And so your flesh, your skin begins to deteriorate. And you're not, if you grab a hot pan, we can feel it if it's hot. If you eat something and you burn your tongue, immediately you stop. A leper cannot do that depending on that state. Now, the interesting thing about leprosy or Hansen's disease is that it is not very contagious. It is very, very difficult for it to be transmitted between people, but it is transmitted between people. In fact, 95% of people that come in contact with this bacteria do not get it. The hard thing is, though, that when you do get it, it can be dormant for months, even years. Sometimes it's immediate. Sometimes it can be as much as 20 years later before it begins to take root. Now, back in Moses' day when the law was being written, they didn't know any of these things. But God had put in his rules a way to protect the community at large. In fact, in Leviticus chapter 13, it's a chapter about leprosy. It tells us exactly what's to happen to a leper or someone that has been diagnosed with leprosy in that day. It's summed up in verses 45 through 46. Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall be unclean. All the days he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean, and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And that law was enforced and that tradition was enforced all the way up to the first century in Jesus' time and after that. And we say, good. If there's somebody in your community that has leprosy, do you want your kids to get sick? Do you want to get sick? Do you want to get? You'd be like, no, get them out of here. Now, even though this bacterial infection, it isn't transmitted very easily, this is very wise because there's secondary infections that come from those sores and those wounds that can hurt other people. And so you, you want to get them outside and you want to protect your family and your community. And we would say, yeah, that's a great idea. But here's the problem. What if that person is you? See, that law states that you are to be removed from your friends, your family, your community, your synagogue, your school, your workplace. You can't even go to the grocery store. You're cast outside of the gates. You're going to go and live in a van down by the river all by yourself. No one can be near you. In fact, it says here that you are to cover your mouth and yell out if someone comes near you, unclean, unclean, so that they don't come talk to you. That's how isolated you're supposed to be. Now, for us spiritually, it's the same. We are murderers, adulterers, liars, thieves. All of us are sinners who are separated and cause harm. And the law reveals that to us. 
Unfortunately, most people outside of the faith believe that God is angry at them, and if they don't, if they don't do what God says, they're going to burn in hell forever. And they're protesting against that, like, no, I don't want anything to do with that kind of God. And that's, nothing could be further from the truth. And they definitely don't see God as the God who heals and who wants to heal us. You see, it's God's word and it's God's law that separates this leper from his community, and he has no hope. There's no way that he's going to be healed. Hansen's disease is not cured until the 1950s, and it's through a large cocktail of antibacterial medicine. But we serve a God who heals, a God who saves. You see, this man, he's ostracized from the community. He can't come back in, but Jesus arrives, and he is healing everyone. In Isaiah 53, verse 4, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He bears our grief and our sorrow upon himself. It's not just a matter of healing our nerves or our muscles, our tendons and ligaments, putting things back together. He heals to the mind and to the thoughts to the soul. He can heal past trauma. He can heal the hardships that you go through, the mental anguish that you may have. Just like this leper who is trapped, he has no way out, there is no cure, he is just going to be separated for the rest of his life. There is no cleaning method, there is no rules, no ritual, no habit, no tradition he can do to get out of this. But Jesus came. He's on this mountain teaching, and this guy says to himself, there is one hope, there is one chance, and he takes it. And he begins to make his way to this mountain. Remember, he's completely isolated, and so he has no golden ticket. He has no appointment. He has nobody in there that can network him to get close to the king. He's just going to go by faith to reach out to this guy. And I see as he's approaching and everyone sees, oh my gosh, that's a leper. The crowd's pretty much separating away from him. That's how isolated this man is. And somehow he gets in front of Jesus. And he says to him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then he hears the most beautiful words he will ever hear in his entire eternity, much less his life. When Jesus says, I am willing, be cleansed. And he's healed. He's not just healed in his flesh. He's not just healed from a disease. He's able to return to his community. He's able to return to his home. He's able to be reunited with his family. He's able to, to be connected again and restored. He is being made whole because God says, I am willing be healed. I am willing. And the Lord comes to us. In all of our sicknesses, infirmities, our anger, our trauma, our hardships, our anxiety, mentally, physically, spiritually, he is willing. And for the believer, we will be healed. The timing, we may be a little upset with the timing. We'll talk about that a little later. But all of his promises are yes and amen. Now let's go to the next miracle. Because Jesus is not done. This is just what he does. In verses 5 through 9, it says, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, 
My servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. So maybe you've heard about centurions in other uh, sermons, or maybe in history, or maybe you watch Ben-Hur, or whatever it is, and you think that you know what centurions are. I have to turn my history nerd on here, because I get super annoyed when we talk about uh, centurions. We're talking about a centurion in the first century in Judea, in Israel, in Capernaum. Because we make blatant statements about centurions. Centurion's a leader of 100 troops. Yeah, yeah, kind of, sort of. Generally speaking, that's true. But remember, the Roman Empire is a thousand-year history. So soldiers today are much different than soldiers in the 1700s in the Revolution, right? So we have to be a little bit more specific. Now, this centurion in the first century in Judea, he is in a lot of battles, a lot of fights. There is a lot of things going on. There is rebellion multiple times. There's local rebellions. They're putting them down. He is a fighter. And this is hand-to-hand combat. There's no pushing buttons and hitting missiles thousands of miles away. Now, centurions, no matter what century we're talking about, in Roman life, they are examples and leaders, and they are in charge. They're to be exemplars. That means they're to represent what a Roman soldier is. In fact, in Wikipedia article, there is an excerpt from a 5th century text. Now, I have to be careful here, because what's the 5th century? That's 400 BC, or AD, excuse me. And we're talking about the first century A.D., so this is 300 years later, but there's enough that we can cross-pollinate, that we can say, yes, this is similar. This is what it says in this document. The centurion in the infantry is chosen for his size, strength, and dexterity in throwing his missile weapons and for his skill in the use of his sword and shield. In short, for his expertness in all the exercises. He is to be vigilant, temperate, active, and readier to execute the orders he receives than to talk. Strict in exercising and keeping up proper discipline among his soldiers, and obliging them to appear clean and well-dressed and to have their weapons constantly rubbed and bright. So this guy's tough. This guy is probably got the battle scars to prove it. And yet here we see this man, let's identify him even more in the first century in Judea. He is most likely Italian birth, heritage, or from a Roman free city. This man is a leader in the army that is oppressing the nation in which he is occupying. He is an occupier. He is the opposite of everything the nation of Israel wants to be associated with. He is definitely not Jewish. It's possible he's pagan or he's beginning to have faith. We have no idea on that point. Is he a believer in Jesus or not? We don't know, but we do know that he is 100% a tough, battle-hardened centurion based on the location and the history and where he's at. And he is going out of his way to go talk to a Jewish carpenter from a no-name town for his servant. And he goes out of his way 
to get help for his servant. We as believers should be doing the same. In fact, in James chapter 5, it says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And I want you to notice something about this tough centurion. What does it say? It says he pleaded with him. He is begging the Lord. Can you heal my servant? Please, can you heal my servant? I want to know what the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people around there were thinking. Were like, were they smirking at him? We're like, what is this Gentile? How dare he come to here? How dare he come to there? We have no idea. But he feels like he doesn't belong, and yet it doesn't matter because of who he's coming after. And here, Jesus says once again to this enemy of the state, I will come and heal him. Jesus doesn't have enemies. He doesn't care that he's a Gentile. He doesn't care that the other man's a leper. He doesn't care. He came to this world to save souls, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And whoever believes in him shall not perish. And so he's been ministering to him. And he does this. People are coming to him because he heals, he makes whole. It is just so sad to me. I have heard these words in my own life. I am willing. Be clean. And, you know, just allow me to vent for a second because there's so many people that we know in our own circles, in our own lives, they medicate, they take pills, they drink, they take, they smoke, they, um, every self-help book, every vacation they try and pour themselves into, every new toy. They're just trying to cover their pain or ignore the pain or they think they're being healed and they're not. They're covering it up. And they try and escape it by blacking out for a little while. But nothing's being fixed. Jesus comes, the creator of the universe, comes to us and is willing to make us whole, to repair the damage that no one can touch, to do things that no one can do. And he's not just trying to make happy churchians. He's repairing his creation. He's restoring us. By simply spending time with him. Now, this isn't always talking about specifically physical healing, although every Christian will be physically healed. It's the timing we have problems with. But he's talking about our very being and our soul, our mind, our emotional health, the things that we've been through. Now, this centurion, he's a smart guy. You don't need to come to my house. Just say it, and it'll get done. We need to have the same kind of faith ourselves. Now, in verses 10 through 13, Jesus has something to say about this. He says, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have, found no, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and Sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed 
that same hour. Now let's broaden our horizon. I want you to place yourself as a Gentile in the first century. After Jesus departs and the gospel spreads throughout the Roman world, this is a Jewish faith and it starts with Jewish people in, in Jewish synagogues. And the Gentiles are starting to get added, especially as Paul has that calling upon his life. And this is one of the most popular stories that are rewritten in the first century among the Gentile believers. Because here you have a Roman centurion and Jesus marvels at his faith and uses him as an example. And then here Jesus says that people are going to come from all over the world and be a part of this faith. And it's through faith in Him. Incredible. If we want to please the Lord, that's how we do it, through faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, But without faith it is impossible to believe Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And so I'm, I'm going to make a side note here, another one. And it's to our warriors, our veterans, our fighters. This is, this is what I want to talk about. Because when we talk about healing and resting and faith, unfortunately, I group myself in this group. We think it's weakness and we think it's being, uh, you know, needing help and we're supposed to be tougher than that. And here's a centurion who is the very apex of what it is to be a tough fighting soldier with discipline. And he knows that it's through faith and diligently seeking the Lord that he can find restoration for a friend. And so I want to use an analogy for the warriors there that maybe we can identify with. In, in Ukraine right now, there is a major conflict. And it's mostly being done by artillery right now. And they are sending so many rounds through these barrels that it's going past their life expectancy because they're getting so hot they have so many um, contained explosions in there, they begin to crack, and they begin to bend with the heat, excuse me, excuse me, to the point that the barrels begin to bend, and the artillerymen have to compensate for that change in the barrel to aim correctly. So they have to be sent back. And what they do with these barrels, these barrels, they are made to fight, they are made to do this, and they, it is proper wear and tear. It has to go back, be sent behind the lines, and they need to repair them. I was talking to somebody after the first, century, this first service that had uh, done something similar, and they actually warm the barrels up, and so they can anneal it, and they can make it straight again, and then they cool it down and they quench it so that it gets rock hard again, and then they will bore it out. And so it's ready to go back. It's being restored. The cracks on the molecular level are being restored so that it can go back. And if, if you're one of the type of people I'm talking about here, maybe you've been in combat. Maybe you were prepared for combat, but you weren't called. Was it, you did the job you were supposed to. Maybe you're just a fighter. Maybe you're just a tough person. And you think to yourself, well, no, you know, I don't need healing. I don't need to sit with God. I don't need any of this sissy stuff. You're just wearing yourself out. You need to be restored by faith, by diligently seeking Him. And He will restore you so you're hardened to go back out. And so if you're online or if you know somebody that needs to hear that, you need to send it to them. Because too many people are avoiding the very thing that they need. The Lord is willing. He will do it. Just come to Him. And if there's any place we need it more, 
It's going to be in our own families. And that's what we're going to see here now, verses 14 through 17. <clears throat> now, when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and served them. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying that he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So in our first healing with the leper, an extreme case, was the individual. Our second healing was with the centurion, another extreme case, and it was for the servant. The third healing is now for Peter's mother-in-law, and it's for a family member. There is nothing, in my opinion, nothing more hurtful, more painful than watching a loved one, a family member suffer or to be sick or to need help and not be able to give it to them. And what is the point of our relationship with Jesus? What is the point of our relationship with God if it doesn't work at home first? If it can't minister to our own family? It ministers to us personally, and then it ministers to those around us. And Jesus is no stranger to this. He goes with Peter to Peter's mother-in-law's house. The family is not excluded. And he comes, and he just touches her hand. That's it. He just touches her hand. And she gets up and starts cooking. I know a lot of moms that are like that. Scripture doesn't say, but I'm willing to guess that's the best meal she's ever made. And this is not a small thing either. Because the Bible tells us in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 1, in verse 32, at evening, same place, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and who, all who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Listen, I can't heal anybody. And I don't know why, if I pray for one person, the Lord heals them. And it's usually the person, I'm like, Lord, don't heal this person. They don't deserve it. They're like, there they are. They're healed. I'm like, okay, you're the boss. And then I got somebody else who's asking for praying, and I'm just praying by faith. I don't have anything. The only thing I'm passing to you when I lay on hands is cooties or something. And then I pray for that person. And I'm like, oh, this Lord, you've got to heal this person. This person loves you so much. And he says no. I'm like, what's going on here? And then nothing's worse than going home and having a family member or a child who's sick. You're like, Lord, can you just heal my child? I don't know what's going on here. There's nothing more painful, more heart-wrenching than that. And sometimes it's yes. But it seems in this day and age, many times it's no. And if you're having a loved one that's going through an issue that you can't heal, you can't handle, don't bear that on your own. He bears our iniquities and our sorrows. He tells us in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We need to be able to go to him and rest in him. You, you're... Family is not being abandoned. We take this home, and the Lord ministers to us. And it doesn't mean that there's not going to be pain and no heartache, 
It doesn't mean that he's going to just make everything go away and it's going to be hunky-dory. What it does mean is he will take our burdens, he will take our iniquities, he will take our, our hurt and our pain, and he will take it upon himself. And we can find rest for our souls. It will work out. Like I said earlier, I don't know why or how or when, but I do know the promise of God's word that says in Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. You see, this pain that we're experiencing, it's temporary. It, I told you earlier, and I mentioned it, it's the timing that upsets us. When I ask for healing, I want it right now. I'm impatient. I want to eat, I want it right now. I want a donut, it better be on my desk. If I want... To go and accomplish something, I want it done yesterday. I ask somebody like that centurion, go, they better darn well go. But then I go to the Lord and I say, Lord, I have a pain in my shoulder and my knee and my back. Can you just heal this for me? Oh, Lord, my daughter's got a cough. My son is waking up. Can you just, can you handle it? And he says, no. You see, I don't know how. I don't know why. I don't know when, but all things will work together for the good. You see, every pain that I have, and God only knows what other things he has in store for me and what things he has in store for you. But one day, I will be 100% healed and in his kingdom. I'll be made completely whole. And I'll live with him forever. And until that time, there's going to be incredible difficulties and incredible joys. But in the midst of that, he can heal me in ways and places that nobody else can touch. And he could do the same for you and for your coworkers and for your friends and for your family. He is willing to do it now. I am willing. Because God is not just the God of salvation. He is the God of healing. He is life. And he will give us that life. So that whatever we go through, we can be by him, by still waters and green pastures, and we can be still and know that he is God. And so I'm going to close you out. We'll close out with these words in 3 John, verse 2. It says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. And to be a follower of Jesus is to have a prospering soul. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the God of salvation. But we also pray for a deeper work in us now, that you would heal the cracks, that you would restore us whole, that you would move in our lives, that you would carry our burdens and our iniquities. When we were lepers and centurions and family members, Lord, you were willing and you gave yourself for us. We pray that we'd be able to share that with others and deliver them from other things, Lord. We thank you and we praise you for this work and for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you need prayer, come on up. We'd love to pray with you. There are brothers and sisters available. God bless you and have a wonderful week.